Have you ever said to yourself, holy crap, how they do that? On this podcast, we talk with and about people doing amazing things they never thought possible. Let's go. Doc, and we're back and we have an amazing repeat guest and it is, she is, Ray Kwai, former, you got to be scared of this one, former FBI agent. Hey, I'm not on any other watch list. She can put a flat foot like you in their place (laughs) in a hurry. (laughs) Welcome, Ray. Oh, it's so nice to be back with you guys, Pat and Lauren. It was really a joy to be here. And you're coming to us from cold San Francisco. Oh my God, yes. I mean, the high here in Tiburon was 60 degrees. So I have my sweater on and I mean, that was the high for the day. So I got a lot of coastal fog. We're coming for a visit. I think it's close to 60 (laughs) here, Celsius. That's what it feels like out in the sun. <laughs> it, we are in Florida and it is hot, hot, hot. <laughs> so we're, we are talking amazing stories and what ones that make you say, holy crap, how they do that. <laughs> and, and Lorraine, um, just talking about overcoming fear. And I know within an FBI agent, you must have had a situation where you must have known about people that it's not just a little bit of, I'm afraid, but coming, overcoming that debilitating fear that would keep mm-hmm. a, a salesperson like I knew that drove around the block several times to get up the confidence <laughs> to go in. Um, can you tell us in your work and in your experience, a story about overcoming fear? Oh my gosh, there's so many. <laughs> um, I guess the first one that pops into my mind is um, the first day I ever shot a gun. Now, um, even though I was born and raised on a cattle ranch, I'd never shot uh, a gun before. So I was on the firing line at the FBI Academy holding a Smith & Wesson 38 revolver. And I, I tell you, my heart raced as um, I wept I I just wiped the sweat from the palms of my hands. I was filled with uncertainty and fear, and I was very worried that I wouldn't shoot well enough to qualify. Um, That same sort of fear parked in my mind throughout the four months of the academy. But in the end, I did qualify at firearms, and I I did graduate. Uh, And it wasn't that I was afraid of guns or didn't know how to shoot. It was just that the stakes were so high that if I did fail when I needed to use a gun, there would be tremendous consequences. And so that same fear was there, uh, even though I had, you know, was an agent. And it, it showed its ugly face again during an arrest in San Francisco. And the FBI had arrest warrants for people we believed had connections to a terrorist cell. So we had surveilled the suspects and we found where they lived. And so we showed up at O Dark Hundred to make the arrest. FBI loves doing things in the morning. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like that's the donut shop doesn't open until like 5 a.m. So there's no reason to start before that. I don't know why they insist on that. You can always tell a federal operation because they start before dark. They do. They do. They we meet in the dark. And then we wait for the light to show up, right, uh, for the sun, sunrise. But um, the SWAT team was the one to go in through the front door. 
but agents like myself were stationed at different positions around the house in case the suspects tried to, you know, make a run for it. And I heard the knock and announce. And then I heard some shuffle inside the house and then some doors banging. And so I brought my gun up. So I had the back door uh, in my front sight. That was what I was supposed to watch was the back door. But my hand was shaking so bad that I doubt I could have hit the side of a wall, less, you know, much less a small back door. And it was truly, you say, oh, crap. I say, oh, shit moment, because I was responsible for keeping the parameter safe. And if I failed, again, huge consequences. The suspects didn't try to use the back door to escape and the SWAT team arrested them. But I really flirted with a coward's heart that day. And I knew for my own safety, as well as the safety of others, I needed to find a way to conquer my fear and anxiety over how I'd fail someday. It's to wonder how she did that, right? Yeah. Well, it's amazing when, like you said, when it matters, oh, and yeah. you start to think, okay, do am I gonna do this right? I mean, it's one thing to hit that inanimate target downrange and whatnot, but yeah. when it really matters, do I have do it? Will I have it? And this is the same way people in sales face. Like you're telling the story, the, the guy driving around the block, building up his courage. It's like we that's how we are. It's like, okay, I have all the confidence in the world until I really need it. <laughs> you named so, it, right? So how'd, you, so how'd you overcome? It was an embarrassment, it was a personal embarrassment for me. Nobody else knew that my hand was shaking so bad. But, you know, other agents were depending on me. It wasn't just about me. Uh, these were bad people that needed to be put behind bars. So I, 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 I needed to find a way to get over myself, to be truthful, lack of a better word. Lack of confidence, lack of courage. You, you can. There's a lot of different ways it shows up. But I... Um, and it took me time. It didn't just come, you know, like a light bulb coming on. But I, I, I'm a voracious reader and I love research. I'm kind of a nerd in that way. I love research. And so I started to read a lot about neuroscience and I love social psychology. And then I started understanding more about how we can use uh, scientific tools to, and psychological tools to help us become more mentally tough. Uh, and I, and I learned that when any of us experience fear and anxiety, that fast thinking, which is what happened to me at that arrest, that fast thinking emotional limbic brain takes total control. And the slower thinking cerebral brain is kind of left behind. I mean, that's the logic behind it. But I was, it, that emotional brain had just hijacked the thinking brain, right? And in the caveman days, you know, this kept us safe from saber-toothed tigers. But in modern life, as you just mentioned, it can really hinder our ability to overcome our fear or our anxiety. I think the thing that I that, that really hit home for me is that I realized my reaction was normal. Our brains are hard, hardwired to make us emotional creatures, first and foremost. And so no matter how tough and self-controlled we think we are, our first reaction will always be emotional. And that just helped me. I was this, this guilt, this blame, this, oh my God, you, you can't, you don't have what it takes to make it mentality that was, um, that had just infused my thinking and this arrest scenario. Um, and, but it can happen to any of us at any time. So when fear takes over your thinking brain, you need to engage 
that rational thinking brain if you plan to overcome the unpredictability of your situation. I mean, this is how people with PTSD end up losing it, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. And, it, and, and the thing that we all need to remember is that this is our brain just being normal. Um, you know, our brain always pays more attention to negative information than positive. And because it's, it's, its job is to keep us safe. And if you are in a situation like I was in or many of your, your listeners here where the stakes are high, I mean, it could be a big commission sale or you know whatever your situation happens to be, uh, recognize that your first response will be, oh crap, it's, it's, it's your emotional brain taking over. So what's really cool is though that neuroscience, that's one thing to just know that so that you don't feel like you're sort of an outlander, outlier somewhere, but also to what, how, what tools, how can we overcome this? And this, this is not Lorray quite speaking. This is neuroscientists like David Rock and Martin Seligman and people, uh, Barbara Fredericks and people far smarter than me. Uh, but they're, 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 their job is they have PhDs. They, they, this is what they do for a living. And they have come to the understanding that when fear takes over, when, you know, when you fear that, feel that, you should label, we should label each fearful thought that arises in a situation that confronts it. We need to label it. And our first instinct is to say, well, that's just going to make it worse because I'm a coward. I mean, that was what I, that was how I judged myself. There'd be, there'd be an emotional response then. You're, yes. you're into an emotional argument in your own brain instead of labeling is a cognitive type of thing. Yes. And saying, okay, George, Mm -hmm. yes i need you to be quiet so that we can (laughs) we can move ahead so we can so when you label it you 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 acknowledge it and and the thinking brain responds to that it's okay i am i am afraid i or i am i feel like i'm a coward or whatever happens to be but the key here is to just label in one or two words because what will happen to all of us if we say oh man i was a coward i did this and i did that or i should have done this and what you'd have done is sabotage yourself again don't enter into a dialogue about it because that allows those fearful feelings to just take root so the idea is to just label acknowledge it for what it is and move on. The other thing that um, neuroscientists tell us is a great thing to do is to write it down. Just write it down. And there's just something uh, about the actual action of, of writing things down that the brain remembers. It, it really likes handwritten notes. I know that's not great for the younger generation to take notes on computers with everything, but it your brain remembers better. Yeah. Um, it- I know when I was studying for my written comprehensive exams, um, they said there's two things you can do. You, you know, naturally you write it down, but the other thing is move when you're learning. And oh, yes. that, that kinesthetic movement along with it really helps you to shift into that prefrontal cortex and the, the yes. logical part. So when and you talk about writing it down, are you talking about like journaling it? Like when you got when you get back from this incident and say, "Wow, I was really scared 
crapless. Uh, uh, this is what I felt like, or or because uh, you're certainly not putting that in your uh, report. You're not hanging that on your yeah, writing, writing it into report. No. I am a coward. <laughs> That's when creative writing helps, right? You just, <laughs> this is this is what happened, and the, yeah, yeah. No, Fictional you, stories of the FBI. I've, I'm writing this book. I'm researching it. It's like what would happen if an FBI agent was afraid at a uh, let's say a search warrant. Uh, and the title is "It Depends." <laughs> Heavy on the depends. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you know, um, and and I and a lot of people do think that a strong mind and mental toughness is all about just squelching negative emotions, just not acknowledging. I'm tougher than that. Um, but the brain doesn't forget. And what I'm talking about here is the long haul. Um, you can suppress it and pretend it doesn't exist until the next time you're in that same situation and it'll just pop up again. I'm trying to share ways that neuroscientists have proven and so social psychologists have proven will actually help the brain understand and, and sympathize, so to speak, so that, that you can know, you know, know where to go. Yeah, go ahead. That's suppressing it. That's the pre-Vietnam approach to our soldiers. Yes, it is. Right? I mean, these guys came home, and I, I'm going to use a word that's probably cruel, but a lot of them were whacked out. Well, well, yeah, they saw and did a lot of things that are against what we're taught are what we're supposed to be doing. And Absolutely. so, of course, I, I mean, if they came home in those numbers and we're all felt fine about it we should have been worried about that actually yeah because right? they may not want to quit <laughs> exactly no you're right and that is sort of the old school approach unfortunately a lot of people today um still hold on to that uh, yeah. surprisingly well uh, that's that's the old john wayne um i, know. I love john wayne <laughs> but you're right you just right suck now, it up and move forward one version of what you explained as far as uh, I label them, I've heard one person say, give those type of thoughts a name. Yeah. Like, oh, there's that coward voice coming out in me again. Or, and yeah. then, then you can start a conversation. Of course, I like talking to put yourself. things in language and, well, I like that too. Uh, but um, you put things in language and see it as a conversation between the coward limbic brain and the uh, successful logic brain or you know whatever labels we want to use for it well and when you talk about patty i think you asked the question you know do you journal it or whatever uh, really the purpose of a journal even or whatever is to dig down a little bit deeper so in my case my fear was not the gun itself I was proficient in with confidence. At the beginning, in the, in the beginning, I didn't have the confidence, but in the end, you know, I, I shot over 3,000 rounds on that revolver. So, I mean, I was pretty good at it, but what it, my fear, I needed to dig deeper than that. And that's where the journaling can kind of help. You can just peel back layers at a time. My fear came down to the consequences if I ever needed to shoot someone. I was at that back door to prevent the terrorists' suspects from escaping you know my big question was could i pull that trigger and that is that that's where my fear was so it helped little by little i could get past you know certain roadblocks to where um you know i i where i could say okay could i pull the trigger and then that gets then just keep going even deeper so why did you join the fbi i mean you're going to have a gun it's going to be part of the job description and for me, 
um, I, I, I realized at that point, I went into the FBI to keep people from being hurt by individuals like we were arresting. Internally, FBI stands for fidelity, bravery, and integrity. And when we go after something or someone, it's with uh, evidence, we do complete investigations, we do make mistakes sometimes, but it's pretty rare. Um, but I made, I made the decision to join the FBI based on my values. And once I could kind of get my head around the fact that values were the thing that were driving my behavior, I mean, what I was doing, why I was doing what I was doing, it, it, it made a lot of, it made, it, it made sense. You know, I was, I was doing things in according, according to my values. So, you know, for listeners who are in sales, you know, look for companies or organizations who make a contribution to something other than themselves. Because in the end, you know, you don't want to ask what is easiest. You want to ask, how can this make me a better person? Right. Why are we doing this? It's got to be for more than just a paycheck. Well, and if you come in there and you, again, I like that drilling down and asking yourself questions. Mm -hmm. It's like the guy that drove around the block umpteen times. You got to stop and think about it and say, what am I really doing here? What is it that I want to do? And what Pat and I have talked about is the whole idea of if we're here to help people, if that's why we're selling, is that we're here to help people, introduce them to a product or service that can benefit their lives, then why should I be afraid to ask? Why should Absolutely. I be afraid to approach them? But I, I like, I like what you're saying is drilling down and mm -hmm. not just staying in that fearful limbic brain. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the other part of the fear part is, is like Lorraine said, you know, why am I doing this? Well, same thing. You're in sales. I'm doing this to provide for my family or to provide for my retirement or to, to get whatever my goals, whatever it is, my why. Exactly. It gets me my why. Like, okay, this is why I have to knock on this door and ask this uncomfortable question and maybe have the door slammed in my face because I want my kids to have straight teeth and if or you, whatever. And if you know that, then you know the other side of it where you say, I'm here to help them. They want, more than likely, they want their problem solved. The question is, do they have that problem or not? If I ask, you yeah, know, I might find out. Yeah. And, and it's like, and if they don't have the problem, good. They don't need my help, but that doesn't mean I'm worthless. Case closed, right. Yeah. That just means I'm available to help somebody else. Yeah. So, right, what, what else can you do to overcome fear? You know, the other, th for me, um, I didn't, you know, the word stereotype has such a negative connotation right now. Um, so I, I, I will use the word generalization, but uh, most of us are very hesitant to make generalizations about people. And for good reason, because we know that a lot of definitions of stereotypes betray uh, other people as, well, they're inaccurate or they're negative or they're overgeneralization. Or too absolute. Yeah, exactly. They're just too absolute. But however, um, when, when, when researchers uh, look at how we can think faster by using stereotypes, rules of thumb, and jumping to conclusions. So it, thinking fast is incredibly efficient. It's usually accurate. And basically, it's essential to our survival because it allows us to quickly make a decision and then pivot or move. Or, or if what, what is most important is it frees your brain up 
for to think of other things. And so, but my my thought here to your to you and your listeners is that it's important to be careful as as well because our brain can become so wedded to a stereotype that we rely on that even when it defies logic. So we need to take a step back and reevaluate our belief system. And I have to say so often the person that we uh, misjudge or we have stereotypes about are ourselves. I know everyone's thinking, oh, stereotyping people, that's bad, whatever. However you want to deal with that, but you know what? Don't stereotype yourself. I mean like uh, loser. Exactly, or coward or whatever. Um, it's important to continually seek out new information to determine you know, whether those rules of thumb are still accurate. I would look at myself as I'm not an athlete. I had a terrible time getting through the academy uh, with, with just my, um, the, the, the physical requirements. But new information may need require you to update a way of thinking. And this, again, is particularly true if the st- a stereotype is a self-limiting belief about ourselves and what we can do. Well, I, women, women aren't as strong as guys, so of course I'm not going to do as well yeah. as them. We, I don't stand a chance. so many ways. We're really yeah. ge- good at ge- giving ourselves all the excuses or all the blame. Yeah. And that's, and that's where the, that's where I really like what you said as far as shifting from the limbic to the, to the logical brain yeah. and shifting in there and saying, wait a minute, what have I done? What, 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 what do I do well? And it's like, Exactly. Well, it's I like what you said about stereotyping too. And stereotyping in law enforcement is called profiling. And yes. that's a big controversial word. And of course, racial profiling yes. is a big, big to do. And I remember our police department policy was, was you can use this information to help you guide you. Just like you said, we shouldn't ignore all of the, the, the stuff we're seeing, but you can't use it to, to discriminate against people. No, exactly. Our brains, it's natural for our, you know, for as you're driving, this is part of the problem we have with automated or autonomous vehicles. I drive down the road and I'm assuming nobody's ever going to turn in front of me, but I still have to pay attention for it because it could happen. Exactly. We have a hard time teaching the computer to do that because some people do some wacky things behind the wheel and it's awful hard to teach the computer to expect you're driving down the road, minding your own business. And all of a sudden a car comes driving from a parking lot over a wall into your lane. And so, but so we use stereotyping every day. We, it's it's using it appropriately, right? Well, we've got and, and, and you know, there's a Daniel Kahneman, exactly. Daniel Kahneman is a is a psychologist. Daniel Kahneman is an, a psychologist who wrote a book called uh, Think Fast, Think Slow. It, it's it's brilliant, really. When it talks about how the brain relies on rules of thumb and generalizations, in, you know, about our environment, uh, whether it's it's situational awareness or as you were talking about, um, look at how we look at people or or whatever. But uh, it, it's it's important to be aware that our brains are very competent and capable. Uh, but but to always evaluate, you you may need as new information becomes available, you may need to update the way you the way you think and your your rules of thumb. Well, remind yourself it's a it's a it's a rule of thumb. It's a general thing. It's it's okay. I I knock on the door. I'm expecting the person to open the door and say, "How can I help you?" or "What do you want?" or some yes. form of that. But also to expect that it might be not so pleasant, or it may be 
Well, so, and, 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 and even in that numbers yeah. game, when they say, you know, you got to knock on 10 doors to get one yes. Well, I'm looking for the one yes. yes. I only knock on three doors. Right. And what, what am I expecting? You know, if I say it nice, and Gia Jang um, did a wonderful job in this TED talk where he talked about 100 days of rejection. Mm. And like asking these outrageous questions. And what he found was most people were willing to say yes if you gave them a good reason. And again, that's coming out of logical brain. We yes. got to get out of the negative emotions and fear and doing that. And like I said, um, you, your, your brain is hardwired to be negative because, um, again, it wants to keep you safe. So I encourage people to be positive thinkers, not optimists, because believe me, um, I mean, it, um, you need to be aware of, of how your, your brain will immediately respond and then counter that with positive thoughts. And the ratio is somewhere between three and five. You need three and five positive thoughts to counter one negative thought. That's just how strong negative uh, thinking that's is. An that's an amazing number once you hear that. And then you understand, wait a minute, it's kind of normal exactly. to have all these negative thoughts. Yes. It's not just them. You know, we, we divide to us and them. It's not just them that are so good. Boy, we can talk about this all afternoon. This all, absolutely. Unfortunately, our viewers and our listeners will be able to go back and listen to this over and over. Absolutely. So this has been fantastic, Claray. Um, but for our viewers, she's got so much good information. We're going to invite her back. She's going to be on another episode. Yeah. Make sure you do I'm it. looking forward to it. Thank you for tuning in. You can engage with us all over social media. Be sure to like, follow, share, or subscribe wherever you're tuned in. And don't forget to leave a review. Until next time, think bigger, reach higher, and do what you never thought possible.